nice. Thank you, kids. That was good. Don't know if I turned it on or off. It's a red light. It's supposed to be red, I hope. Yeah. Okay. I can tell this is Brother McMath's pulpit. It's a little tall for me. So it's good to, good to be here. I appreciate you. And this church has been a blessing for, for many years. And I'm excited how your church turned out. Last time I was here, you lacked a little bit before your church would be finished. And, and Brother McMath showed it to me. And uh, I think you still lacked about two years. And uh, But God really has been good to you. And uh, you've done a good job here. And God's, God's blessed that. And what, a, what, a, what, exciting, what an exciting thing is to see this great place that you all have uh, to serve the Lord. I'd like to introduce my wife, Janice, if you'd stand. She's, I met her in Oklahoma City when I was in Bible college. And she's an Okie from Oklahoma City. And uh, we were married after my second year uh, of Bible college. And she's followed me literally all around the world. And I thank God uh, for that. I thank you for being so faithful to support us uh, faith, uh, for so many years. Uh, and it's been a blessing to us. I was, I was mentioned at supper when the church started supporting me. I hadn't been raised in support very long, and we were really needing financial support. And when Pastor McMath said we were going to support you, that was a real blessing to me and has continued to be a blessing uh, throughout those years. Let's open our Bibles tonight to the book of Matthew, chapter number 20. Matthew 20, and we're going to look in verse number 17. Matthew chapter 20, verse number 17, just going to read through verse 19 uh, for right now. Matthew 20, verse 17, and Jesus going up to, up to Jerusalem, took the 12 disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go up to, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests, and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock, and to scourge, and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. The title of the message is, as we see in verse 18, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege we have of being in church tonight. What a blessing it is to to get together with other Christians that love you, that, that want to worship you and serve you. And, and uh, uh, I thank you for that. I thank you for the privilege we have of opening your word and preaching it. And I pray as we, we uh, preach the word this time dedicated uh, to the preaching of your word, that you would bless it, that your Holy Spirit would, would speak through your word tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. As we, we, we come to this text here, What's happening is Jesus has just left Capernaum of Galilee, and he's going to Jerusalem. If you just slip back a little bit to chapter 19 and verse 1, we see when he's leaving Galilee. In 19.1, it says, And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came onto the coast of Judea beyond Jordan. Jesus had spent a good portion of his ministry there around the Sea of Galilee, based in Capernaum, and... and uh, had done a lot of work there, and he kind of used it as a home base as he'd go out and come back and, and, and do miracles and teaching and preaching all around the area. Well, what's happening now is that Jesus has finished his ministry there in Galilee, and we see that he's on his way to Jerusalem. We saw in 19.1 uh, that uh, on his way towards Jerusalem, he stopped in the region of Judea on the other side of the Jordan River. 
in a place called Perea, which is uh, close to the place where King, King Herod killed uh, John the Baptist. Right now, that area we would call Jordan. It's just across the Jordan River. So there, while he was in Perea, on the other side of the Jordan River, uh, he, he taught many things and, and did many things. He taught about divorce. You can see that in, in chapter 19 and half of verse, uh, chapter 20. He taught about divorce. He, he blessed the children. He spoke to the rich young ruler that rejected Christ for his riches. And he taught the parable of the, of the first and last in the kingdom of God and other things as well. Now, he's leaving Perea because he'd been on his way to Jerusalem, crossing over the river, getting uh, close to uh, the Jericho, and, and he gets his disciples apart, and he's going to talk to them and help prepare them for the upcoming events. He's going to try to prepare them for the trials that he's going to experience in Jerusalem. What's happening is Jesus has been ministering now for some time, nearly three years, and he's done what he needed to do. Now it's time for him to go to Jerusalem. And it's time for him to be crucified. And so this is his last time in the Sea of Galilee, last time over there in Perea, and now he's taking his disciples up to Jerusalem. And that takes us to verse number 17, uh, where, where we're going to see it here. It says, And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and the scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. So in verse 17, uh, we see he's left Perea. He's heading to Jerusalem. He's got his 12 disciples with him, and uh, uh, he, he's taken them apart. Off to, the, off to the side of the road. It's a very popular road. There were other, just other people along the road uh, as well, and even probably some of his uh, other followers of Jesus. But he takes these, these 12 disciples off the road to speak just to them. Why did he do that? Why did he take those 12 aside? He wants to prepare them for what's about to happen. They'd seen his miracles. They'd seen uh, the things he'd done. They, they, they'd heard his preaching. They'd seen some people follow him. They'd also seen some evil things that had happened to Jesus. And, and, and so, so now he's got them aside, and he wants to talk to them. He wants them to be prepared for what's about to happen. Charles Spurgeon says, it's possible that at this time Jesus in his human heart, was desiring a special time of fellowship with his disciples as he tries to let them know what's going to happen. You see, even though Jesus was God, we have to remember he was also human. And so Jesus, being human, being a man, he experienced the same emotions as all of us human beings experience. As we read about Jesus, we see where he cried. We see where he marveled. We see where he showed compassion. Where he experienced hunger. Where he experienced thirst. Tiredness. When he showed affection. When he showed love. When he, when he showed anger. 
and sadness. Same things we experience, Jesus experienced, because he was man. And now, Jesus is thinking about how he was about to suffer and to die in Jerusalem. So it's very likely as he shares this time with his disciples, he wants it to be a special time between him and them to make sure they understood and to prepare them for what's about to happen. So in verse 18, we see, he says, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. We go up to Jerusalem. The word behold is an expression used to call the attention to something important. He says, Behold, listen up. I've got something important to say. Behold. He had already begun his trip to Jerusalem to conclude his ministry, to end his mission, and his destination is Jerusalem. Jerusalem is known as the place of sacrifice. And so Jesus, for the third time, announces his upcoming death to his disciples. Look again at verse 18. Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death. And shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. He told them. He says, I'm going to be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes. He says, someone is going to betray me to the chief priests and scribes. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the disciples, including Judas Iscariot. I wonder, as Jesus was telling them that, what Judas thought when Jesus said, someone's going to betray me. Jesus already knew he's God. It wasn't time to expose Judas yet because God's will had to be done. God's, God's promise God's plan had to be fulfilled. I wonder what Judas was thinking when he heard that. And then I wonder how Jesus felt knowing that Judas, one of the twelve, one of his companions, was soon going to betray him. Because he was God, he knew it all along. But that still doesn't make it easy. Because he called him his friend. Even when Judas betrayed him with the kiss, Jesus said, my friend. So he tells them he's about to be betrayed. And he says in verse 18 also, they shall condemn him to death. The Jewish leaders were going to give Jesus a mock trial an unjust trial, and condemn him to death. And in verse 19, look at verse 19, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and discourage and to crucify him. He's going to be delivered to the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles here? The Roman soldiers. He was going to be delivered to the Roman soldiers to be mocked, scourged, and crucified. He was going to suffer cruelty 
death, mockery. This is the first passage in the scriptures in the New Testament that, that points to how Jesus was going to die by crucifixion. So this death was going to involve much suffering, much pain. But I like the end of verse 19. Praise the Lord, it says, in the third day, he shall rise again. He was going to rise again. That day was coming, but first, he had to die. So, Jesus shares these things, these events, upcoming events, with his disciples. He knew. As Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, he knew how his ministry was over from the rest of Israel. And he knew now he was going to be that sacrifice. Oftentimes, the previous knowledge of sufferings bring anguish and grief. How many of you have ever been to a chiropractor? Me too. Got an appointment Friday. That always gives me anguish and grief just thinking about it. Go in there, the guy smiles at you and all, and then all of a sudden he grabs your face. He begins to kind of move you a little. That's when I really experienced the suffering grief. Why? He hadn't done nothing yet. But I know what he's going to do. As he just gently does this and tells me, relax, and I'm thinking, relax, right? How am I going to relax? I know exactly what's going to happen. I can't relax. And all of a sudden he goes, <coughs> and of course he does it on your back and everything else too. That brings a lot of grief before he does it. Actually, when he does it, it doesn't hurt so bad. It's thinking about it. Uh, uh, and so Jesus knew that. He knew what was going to happen. A few years ago in Argentina, we had a call from someone who had lived in Neuquén. Uh, her husband had worked in, been working in the oil fields around the city where we live in Comodoro Rivadavia. He was really, really sick. He had pancreatitis. I think that's what you call it. And uh, uh, he was in bad shape and uh, they had brought her, the, the, the oil company brought her to the city, put her in a hotel so she could be there with him. And, and uh, uh, we visited with her, we went to the hospital and tried to visit with him. He was in, an, in intensive care and he started to improve and then he had some, some times when he went bad uh, and started doing bad again. And anyway, we invited her to our house and uh, uh, had her eat with us. And then, then we witnessed to her and she received Christ as her savior. We were excited about that, but just a couple days later, we got a call from her and said, I'm, I'm at the hospital, my, my husband, he's not doing very good. Uh, he's fixing to have surgery, and it's a very dangerous surgery. So my wife and I went to the hospital there uh, in, the, in the town and uh, uh, found her and was sitting with her and trying to be a comfort to her, and we're all waiting, and hospitals there aren't like they are here. It was quite uncomfortable. The way you sit, you're kind of close to everybody, and, and it's, it's just, I can't explain it, but it's not a real comfortable place to be, and, uh, and we've been waiting a while, and then I got up to probably to go to the bathroom or to stretch my legs and walk down the hall, and I ran, ran into a lady I know, I've, I've known for a long time, she was a lab tech there at that hospital, and uh, she saw me, she said, Pastor, what are, you, what are you doing here? And then I explained to her, I said, well... Uh, we're with a lady uh, from Neokin. Her husband's in surgery right now. He's got pancreatitis, and 
and we want to be with her uh, until he comes out of surgery. And she said, Pastor, he died. And I thought, why did you tell me that, Pastor? He died. And so I went back and well, was sitting beside her, and she doesn't know he died. And uh, a, uh, what do you call those things that you wheel people on? Uh, can't think of it. Uh, the journey, gurney, gurney, not journey. And uh, uh, gurney comes off the elevator. They're pushing someone into the back into the uh, emergency room, but you can't see really good who it is. And, and she said, oh, he came out of surgery. Maybe he's going to be okay. And the whole time I'm thinking, he's not okay. He died in about... Five minutes later, they came out and told her, and then it was really a rough time. But when he told me that, when she told me that, that he died, the anguish I went through, the, the suffering I went through just thinking how it's hard it's going to be on her, I'd have rather not known. Well, Jesus knew what he was going to go through. He knew his suffering. He knew how painful it was going to be. He knew how he was going to be so alone. And yet, he was faithful to fulfill his mission. In Isaiah 50, verse 5 and 6, it says, The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turn, up, turn away back. I gave my back to the smiters, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Jesus knew what was going to happen, and he faced it. He suffered voluntarily. He had the power to prevent it, but he didn't use that power. Because he knew that, he knew that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Jesus was the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. The only way to save the world was for Jesus to die for our sins on the cross. So Jesus, knowing that, allowed himself to go through that. And so as we reread, Jesus is telling all of this to his disciples. As Spurgeon said, it's very possible he was wanting this special time of fellowship, like this time together as kind of like a family that had gone worked for three years together. Just one of the special time of communion with his disciples. So he shares those things with them. Well, how did they react? How did they react to the special time of fellowship that Jesus was seeking? Look at verse 20 and we'll see how they reacted. Or Matthew 20, verse 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on thy left in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know, ye, ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, You shall drink indeed of my cup, 
and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. How were they affected by Jesus opening his heart out to them, sharing this special moment with them to let them know how he was going to suffer for their sins? How were they affected? They weren't. Not at all. While Jesus was busy thinking and talking about the humiliation of death that he was going to suffer, they were thinking about their own honor and well-being. It moves our heart to see how Jesus shared his upcoming suffering and death with his disciples. But what's hard to swallow is the, the reaction of the disciples. Seems to me that it was painful for Jesus that after telling them what was going to happen to them, that they weren't even moved in the least. As soon as he got done, they began to seek their position later. And they begin to ask who's going to be able to sit on the left hand and who's going to sit on the right hand of Jesus in the kingdom. Then the other disciples about hearing that got upset that they beat them to the draw, that they were trying to manipulate a better place. It's a sad thing. Sadly, many of us react the same way to Jesus as the disciples did. As I see this story, I, to, to look at it in this day and age, I think of a father that's got terminal cancer, knows his days are very limited, and he calls his children together. And he begins to share with them, children, men, Kids being older, I'm going to die. I don't have much more time to be with you. And then one responds, can I have the car? I want the house. I sure like to have the boat. That would be really sad, although unfortunately it does happen. But yet many times we react to Jesus in the same way. We ignore his sufferings. We ignore what he went through and all we're doing is thinking about us and what we want in this life instead of what Jesus did for us. Jesus wants to have fellowship with us just as he wanted to have fellowship with those disciples. Jesus wants us to be close to him. And I know oftentimes I'm guilty of not having the communication, the communion with Jesus in prayer when I know he's waiting for me to have fellowship with him. Problem is, problem is that time after time, we're so busy with our own selves or even busy in the Lord's work that we don't dedicate the time to be in God's presence, praying like we should, being with him. We can also see as we look at Jesus' life how he loved the world. What he did, what he told his disciples, he didn't do just for them. He did it for the whole world. And he loved the sinners. 
He loved every sinner. He hated the pride. He hated the sin. But he always loved the sinners. Even the Jews of Jerusalem, as they rejected this Jesus as the Savior, how he wept over Jerusalem, wishing they had received him because he wanted to give them eternal life. If we love Jesus, we'll also love the lost sinners for whom he died. We need to tell them about Jesus. We need to show them how to be saved because he loves them and died for them. The Bible is very clear that Jesus doesn't want any of them to perish. He doesn't even want one person to perish. In 2 Peter 3, 9, he sa- the Bible says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's his desire. That's why Jesus gave the great commandment, the great commission to the church. In Matthew 28, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the, and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And Lord, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. See, Jesus died for us. And he told us, he wanted us to preach the gospel here where we live, here in our town, here in our neighborhood, but also throughout the world. That's why a church has a faith promise missions program. I know, I've been here enough to know there's a whole bunch of you that love to try to reach your neighbors and your friends and people you don't even know. And you've gone door to door, uh, inviting people, witnessing when you can, witnessing on the job. And that's what God wants us to do. But I also know that you understand the Great Commission is not just here. It is here first, but it's also throughout the world. And you do that by your faith promise missions, by giving the missions, and you're able to send missionaries out around the world to places where you can't go, but you send others in your place. So as we saw how did the disciples responded to Jesus when he poured his heart out to them? How have you responded to the commission that the Lord Jesus gave the church here? Are you more concerned about your own life and your likes and your dislikes and your desires and your own plans just like the disciples were when Jesus shared his heart with them? Or do you take the great commission seriously? And the faith promise missions seriously and earnestly desire to reach the people you can and put your missions offerings in to reach those that you can't so that you can send people out to do it. Jesus isn't willing that any should perish. We need to ask ourselves, How are we affected by knowing the sufferings of Jesus Christ and his desire to have fellowship with us? Do we just ignore that? Do we do as the disciples did and just say, okay, yeah, and go on our merry way? Or do we take it seriously? 
Are we moved to give our lives to Jesus and follow him until he calls us home? Every Christian should desire to serve Jesus until he meets him in heaven. That should be our desire. Are we, great, are we grateful enough to Jesus to dedicate our lives to him? Say, God, I'm not much, but you've done so much for me. I know my name's written in the, in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. Thank you for that. Now, I want to let you use me to accomplish your will here on this earth. The disciples, at that moment when Jesus shared with them, they failed. One, they didn't encourage Jesus when they could have. Two, they just thought about themselves and weren't ready to give themselves to him. They failed. But we got to remember something. After the resurrection, they got right with God. And they followed Jesus. And all of them but Judas gave their lives for Jesus. And all of them but John were martyred were killed because of their love for Jesus. You know, that tells me something else, too. We as Christians many times make mistakes in our lives. And we know we, don't, we didn't do what Jesus wanted. And, and I've known Christians that have gone down the wrong path knowing it was wrong, as the disciples did here. But Jesus is willing to forgive you, receive you back, Restore you and use you. Who would have dreamed these selfish disciples that we saw in Matthew chapter 20 would later lay down their lives literally for Jesus. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus will forgive you and use you again. We're all sinners. Every one of us has made bad decisions and, and done things we shouldn't have done. But all we have to do is say, Lord, I'm sorry. Get right with him. And he'll get us back on track. As you read through the Bible, you don't find too many men in the Bible where the Bible doesn't show us their faults and their errors, things they've done wrong. Great people. So if you know you've let Jesus down, he's not surprised. As he died for you, he'll also restore you and allow you to serve him. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, he did die for you. And it doesn't matter what you've done, what sin you've been involved in, he'll forgive you and give you eternal life. And then guide you to live for him and give you a purpose of life where you could serve Jesus and do things that are eternal. Blessings that will last forever. It's a blessing to know Jesus as our Savior. If you're not saved, give your heart to Jesus tonight. If you know you've got some things in your life that are keeping you from doing God's will, just confess it to God. Ask forgiveness. Give it up and return to Jesus.
And he'll bless. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer.